Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. This is your host, Tom Salemi. Thank you for joining us. This is our 52nd episode of the OIS Podcast, which means we've been doing this for exactly one year. For the past three weeks, we've been celebrating that anniversary with uh, our favorite podcast, my favorite podcast, and your favorite podcast. And today, I'm about to add to that stack. I'm very happy to be joined by Tom Burns, CEO of Glucose. Uh, this is obviously one of the hotter, if not the hottest, uh, companies in ophthalmology. The company staged an IPO earlier this year. Uh, raising over $100 million in stock. It's the clear leader in the white-hot MIGS space, and uh, quite frankly, it's the idol of many other MIGS companies. Uh, CEOs of those companies are looking to Glaucos to really create this market and drive it forward. Uh, Tom Burns, uh, president and CEO, uh, is uh, a recipient of our uh, Ophthalmology Innovator Award a couple of years ago. And, of course, he's worked at Chiron and iTech, so he has seen success in the ophthalmology market. And Glucose is just adding to that list. Uh, the company is valued close to a billion dollars. Uh, the VCs who have committed over $100 million to the company over its time uh, now own about 60% of that company. So they're sitting in a pretty good position. So we have a lot to talk about with Tom Burns. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Tom Burns, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me today. So we're, uh, what's your assessment of, uh, of the state of medtech? I mean, you may not know this, but Glucose is, is kind of got rock star status right now. Uh, people were very excited. The folks I've talked to were very excited to hear that we'd be sitting down and chatting. They want to hear more about your story. Uh, in addition to your story, we've uh, we've got Second Sight and the acquisition of Oculive. Uh, are we sort of entering a a golden age of of med tech in uh, ophthalmology? Yeah. So so what I would say is that um, op- ophthalmology is a discipline. I think was kind of late getting to the game uh, with venture capital investing until at least the early to mid-90s when venture capitalists began to recognize the value of the ophthalmic market. So we have venture capital firms like Versant Ventures, Domain, Interwest, uh, FSV Life Sciences, and others that began to actively invest sometime in that time frame. So I think today what we're seeing is really the fruits of many of those investment commitments that began really in earnest in the early 2000s uh, time period. And because of that, I believe that the demonstrated success of this venture investing in ophthalmology is going to continue to produce these innovative uh, companies for many years into the future. You raise a great point. I mean, Glucose uh, started in 98, Second Sight started in the, in the 90s as well. I think Oculive is the real outlier in this and has probably garnered some resentment from uh, <laughs> from medtech folks for their, their quick exit, but, but good-natured resentment, of course. Right. Uh, take us back to the, the beginning. Glucose is one of those uh, companies with its origins have some very personal ro- roots. Uh, Olaf Bergheim, when he was domain, sort of got the ball rolling when a relative of his was diagnosed with glaucoma. Uh, and, and now here we are. We have the, the, the fruits of, of those labors of, of getting this effort started. 
How did Glowcoast begin? I know you, you came in early on in the company's uh, history. Yeah, so I was privileged to join Glaucos in 2002, shortly after its founding. But the company really had an altruistic beginning. Uh, Ola Bergheim, who's the life science investor here, prolific guy who's built uh, many, many companies um, in the medtech space, had a family member uh, who had secondary glaucoma and really had progressive advanced state of glaucoma that required uh, bilateral trabeculectomies. So he brought him into Rick Hill, who then was a, a glaucoma specialist and professor at UCI. And Rick diagnosed him and uh, talked about the procedures that were available and really the high surgical morbidity associated with uh, some of the trabeculectomies. And Olaf uh, was um, um, uh, saying that there had to be a better opportunity. There had to be a better, more compelling treatment alternative. And Rick uh, answered that he had a broad idea for the placement of an ab internal stent that could be placed and injected through using the cornea as an entry point and could be placed in a physiologic outflow pathway, um, either the trabecular meshwork or suprachoroidal space, which would be able to relieve pressure and uh, reduce medication burden in glaucoma. So Olaf uh, then recruited Maury Garib, who's a vice provost at, uh, at uh, Caltech University and an aficionado in uh, fluid mechanics, and they began pulling together and collaborating on the apparatus of what uh, such a device would look like that would uh, provide a patent opening in one of these physiologic channels. And that really was the origin for the iStent. And uh, we talk about how we built the company since that time, since that was early in 2001, under, under the leadership of some pretty prolific people that I've uh, had the privilege of working with here, Dave Hafner and Hal Heitzman, they've been able to spawn many uh, successive products based upon that platform, including a second-generation eye stent, a superchoroidal stent, and then uh, a product that we recently disclosed, which was an eye-dose uh, device, which could deliver long-term uh, drug delivery uh, for the treatment of glaucoma. And over that time, you've uh, you've raised a significant uh, amount of venture capital. We we talked earlier on about how VCs really started getting into ophthalmology uh, in the late '90s. What was that experience like uh, of raising that venture capital? And and when was it apparent to you, kind of shifting into to current day, that an, an IPO was uh, was in the offing and and, and was possible? Yeah, so any time that you're a, a privately held company and, and the need of um, some significant capital to, to be able to develop this uh, successive pipelines of products for glaucoma, that, that's an onerous task. And I would tell you that over the course of the last decade and a half, um, there were um, we, we raised $156 million of enterprise capital, um, and it was uh, difficult at times. Uh, there are times where the timing of either your interactions with the FDA or in product development or some sometimes external factors um, um, sometimes will make it an imp imp opportune time to be able to approach some of these venture capitalists. But we were successful in doing so uh, over the course of the last decade and a half and six rounds of financing. We raised every round at a, at a significant step up to the prior round and were able to really husband our capital and, and prevent dilution and, and being able to get enterprise capital for the company. And so we brought it to a state where we had to really be able to wring really uh, as much commercial and clinical risk out of the company as possible. And we did so, I think, with the launch of the iStent in um, late 2012. In our first year, we did $21 million in sales from a standing start. 
and producing um, you know gross margins on the order of 80 plus percent. And then uh, Chris Calcutter and his team were able to kind of double down and um, and create in the second year um, uh, generate 46 million dollars in sales and increase the company um, about 120 percent year on year in uh, sales growth. And so when you look at that kind of uh, results, rapid adoption of the product, um, this is a large and burgeoning marketplace fulfilling an unmet clinical need. I think that put us in the appropriate position then to uh, to seek uh, public market entry and be able to create the value for the company that we see today. Did you have to make any difficult decisions along the way? Obviously, you did. Everyone does. But in, in terms of pipeline, you were, you've been able to build a, a broad pipeline that you had outlined earlier. Uh, often we hear venture capital-backed companies sort of have to decide to focus on maybe one or two companies to start to get the company to closer to the finish line and then work on broadening the pipeline. How were you able to to do both to advance the product that has really has driven this company forward, but also develop a line of uh, complementary products? Well, I think first of all, I'm blessed with immensely capable teams. Um, that would be one. Two, I've been able to uh, we've been able to generate the enterprise capital to be able to fund multiple kind of development pathways as we move forward. And three, I'd say that I have a, a highly supportive board. So I think. Most companies, uh, especially uh, private-held venture capital companies, will be kind of singularly focused on a device that they can get to the marketplace and then be able to create uh, value and come up with a, uh, a compelling exit strategy. It's been our position and my position from the beginning to build a broad pipeline that could create a formidable company um, in ophthalmology and with its first major target being in glaucoma that could uh, you know, provide the ability to have a durable, competitive uh, leadership position for, for the next couple of decades. So in order to do that, we need to have a serial uh, development of products that would, at each stage, be able to expand the market and bring this product in, into indications that would make it more available for um, a more expanded offering for global patients uh, who are afflicted with glaucoma worldwide. Uh, uh, would you be able to, or would someone else be able to, start a company like Glucose today? This is one of these sort of uh, 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 pure traditional med tech companies that had a, a very big idea and required a lot of capital to do it. Uh, the VC market today is is much different than it was in, in the late 90s, even though that wasn't a great time for, for med tech VCs, but certainly things picked up in the 2000s. But do companies like Glucose, you think, still get funded today? Well, I think it's it's become increasingly difficult for young entrepreneurs to be able to enter and to raise the capital necessary, certainly to do what we did, which was to create this broad pipeline of successive products to to build a complete franchise in glaucoma. And so, I would say that you know, given the long cycles that venture capitalists now have become exposed to and the kind of more onerous regulatory paths. Um, it is more difficult for young serial entrepreneurials or companies that are engaging at a very early seed or, or a Series A round to be able to raise money. Not impossible. There are still you know, elegant and compelling innovative ideas that are getting funded, but it has become more difficult. You, you've worked with iTech and, and, and Chiron, so you, and now, of course, uh, Glauco, so you've got great experience. Would you have any insights or, or advice to offer someone out there who's listening who they think has a big idea and wants to get VCs interested? Well, I think you need to uh, go through the fundamentals, and I think it's the scrutiny has become even more um, 
kind of um, onerous today from from venture capitalists who are seeking appropriate returns uh, from their money at earlier stages. And so, I think it uh, comes down to blocking and tackling. You know, understanding that you have a large burgeoning market with an unmet clinical need. Um, making sure you have a formidable IP patent state to, to cover that product, making sure you understand the market and how you're going to get adoption, including reimbursement. Reimbursement is, a, I think, a particularly undervalued skill um, that um, new companies that are entering new markets need to acquire as they go into the commercial phase. And then I think, uh, finally, pricing, and, um, and as part of that, uh, the, the coverage for reimbursement become critical to understanding what kind of market adoption you're going to get and what kind of value you're going to create. If you can create those kind of compelling um, blocking and tackling checkboxes uh, and provide a return on investment scenario that makes sense, to a venture capital uh, community, then I think you have uh, every reasonable chance of being funded with an innovative idea. Well, let's get into reimbursement. You've obviously had some, some success there, some great success. Um, within your clinical trial, you actually managed to, uh, to obtain or, or secure reimbursement uh, for your product during one of your trials, at least. Uh, how, did the, how did you come to get the, uh, what, what kind of approval did you need to get that reimbursement and, and how did that all come together? Yeah, so what we did is we, we actually took the, the option and action of uh, filing for a Category B2 designation as part of our first clinical trial with iStent back in the mid-2000s. And by doing so, what that allowed us to do was to charge for our stents or have the customers bill for our stents as part of their investigative clinical trial. Now, in doing so, what that did was uh, have those billings go to the Medicare administrative contractors over several years who adjudicated. Um, the iStent got to know the product and, in some cases, already had um, uh, pre-approved the product prior to our commercial entry. So we took advantage of an opportunity to charge for the stents, to build a charge history with uh, CMS and with the Medicare administrative contractors. And because of that, when we hit the ground running with an approval of uh, June in 2012, uh, we were quite fortunate with not only the early reimbursement, but we were able to secure full 100% Medicare reimbursement within the first seven months of a MedTech uh, device launch. And I think that resonated with the investment community and certainly resonated with our customers and aided in the early adoption of the iStent. And what do you need to show to get the ability to reimburse during a clinical trial? What do you need to, to show? Why doesn't every device company do that? Well, I'm not sure I can answer that. I think what you, you just need to be able to uh, submit uh, for billing as part of using the, um, the iStent, and then you build up a, a charge history, which then CMS will uh, look at um, at the appropriate time as you head for coding and coverage. And uh, as well as the MACs, um, uh, who will take any new technology and assess it based upon its uh, safety and efficacy and the published data that's available. So similar to all products, they are evaluated on both medical need and the kind of um, consistency of their uh, performance. Uh, but importantly, what we did is by engaging that process several years prior to our commercial launch, we were that much uh, better ahead of the game. And how would you 
rank your your uh, exchanges with the FDA uh, overall? You've had the success, obviously, with the reimbursement, but in, in clinical trial design and, and other areas, uh, did you find it to be a, a relatively smooth ride, or were there some significant bumps along the way? Well, I think I think you uh, would appropriately characterize it as as a partnership that um, uh, clearly was uh, developed over several years. And out of that partnership, we were able to create really what is recognized as the uh, dedicated regulatory pathway today for the approval of a MIGS device. And because of that, the pathway that we've established uh, with the FDA has become the predicate that uh, other MIGS uh, companies uh, employ as we speak today. And how about in, in reimbursement? Uh, you, you mentioned the, the, the Medicare reimbursement, which is great news. You've got... Uh you're still working, though, with the CPT3 code, which is the quote-unquote temporary code you received several years back, and I guess you got a renewal a few years ago. How important is it for you to get a, to upgrade that to a CPT1 code, and is that something you're working toward in the future? Well, what I would say is that our Category 3 code today has provided us with really fair, broad, and consistent physician reimbursement, and and, we, and its corresponding approved product code which is APC 673, is provided for consistent reimbursement uh, for facilities uh, as well as for us to charge for our device. And so we're in no, we have no sense of urgency in converting to a Category 1 code. It's at really at our election. Um, the Category 3 code that we have today uh, will sunset at the end of the decade. So we have the ability to convert as we choose at any time over the course of, of the next several years. In doing so, we think we have uh, more than strong and broad physician support and society's support to do so. So it's really just an elective um, uh, that we'll choose uh, to engage and to, uh, to take action when we think it best serves the company and best serves our customer. And how have you been uh, so successful in getting your hands uh, into the tools, uh, into the hands of surgeons and, of course, the eyes of patients? I mean, MIGS, is, it's, a, it's an area unlike any other where there's just such a groundswell of, of, of enthusiasm about the potential from Glucose and, and other companies in the, in the space as well. Uh, how did that begin to form, and how do you uh, take advantage of that and, and keep moving the ball forward? Sure. Well, I'd say, first of all, one of the things that we've been privileged to be able to respond to is, is an exceedingly high unmet clinical need. And so, right today, for advanced patients, uh, the only alternative for these glaucoma patients are end-stage filtration procedures and aqueous shunt implantations, which are associated with really high rates of, uh, of surgical morbidity. Likewise, uh, topical meds, um, glaucoma drops, which are the mainstay of treatment, are subject to really ubiquitous and rampant uh, non-adherence and non-compliance. And so there was this kind of burgeoning unmet clinical need that we were able to, um, to be able to address with the eye stent. And in doing so, I think we did so in a very methodical and prudent way. So Chris Calcutera and his team here were able to come up with a training program that really is mandated and which surgeons, adopting surgeons, follow, where they will go through a series of webinar series of several chapters, take a quiz at the end of that. Um, they'll engage with our representatives to conduct wet lab training, um, and then the uh, uh, our representatives will spend 
the time necessary to train the surgeons in their early cases until they get their sea legs and feel fully accomplished in uh, placing the device. And typically we see that happen in a very short period of time. Uh, over the course of uh, probably 10 to 15 cases, surgeons become reasonably acclimated and are able to place the eye stent. And so by resisting the temptation to aggressively approach the market and seek kind of broad adoption, which a lot of companies tend to do, we actually went with a very methodical, controlled clinical launch, which we think then has really summarily uh, aided us in providing a highly safe and effective product in the marketplace and I think will benefit both us and other companies that enter in the mix space um, because we've had such a successful uh, safety and uh, efficacy record with the iStep. What do you think this market looks like in five years as we get more products uh, approved by the FDA? Is is there enough for everyone, for for everyone to sort of grow it at a pace, or does there need to be one, or will there, do you think, be one dominant player? And I'm, I'm guessing you would put your money on, on Glucose. Well, I'd like to believe there'd be one dominant player, but what, what I would say is that the market um, is, it, we're very, very much in an embryonic state of penetration. So there is, um, there is a large opportunity to be able to fulfill um, a marketplace that we believe right now and the current addressable market in the United States is anywhere from 550 to 700,000 patients who could benefit from the eye stent placed in combination with cataract surgery. So that would be one. Uh, two, one of the things that we're going to lead is the use of this product uh, into patients with um, uh, into pseudophagic and phagic glaucoma patients as a standalone procedure. So that will allow us to approach another significant portion of the marketplace, actually several times uh, order of magnitude of the combined comorbidity market of cataract surgery and glaucoma. So we're currently um, in an approved FDA clinical trial, uh, which evaluates the safety and efficacy of our second-generation iStent Inject, which is going to be, um, we're seeking an indication for use in phagic and pseudophagic uh, glaucoma patients. I think what we'll end up doing, and I think we will uh, provide the leadership in MIGS, we've built the marketplace, we'll continue to provide leadership. We will transform the market into a market of injection therapy. So much like we see injections taking place at the back of the eye for chronic uh, diseases like AMD and DME, we will propose moving to really the anterior portion of the eye and providing the single injection that um, could provide therapy for millions of glaucoma patients for extended periods of time. And uh, we hope uh, for several years of therapy with uh, with a single injection of the eye stent. So by doing so, I think then we create MIGS not just as an adjunctive uh, procedure in combination with cataract, but as a compelling alternative to early intervention of glaucoma um, and competing with uh, topical drops uh, which currently dominate the marketplace. So when you ask me, will it be plenty for everybody? I think every competitor will have an opportunity to uh, to establish some position within uh, the glaucoma framework. And I think we will take the leadership position of creating a whole new marketplace on the fake and pseudofake side um, uh, in a standalone procedures, which will um, um, provide for really... Um, really aggressive uh, growth of the overall marketplace and really incendiary growth. And I think finally, you know, as you probably have read in our uh, recent S1, we are looking at uh, placing 
um, ophthalmic drugs inside of the platform that we've created with an ab internal placement. By using this drug therapy, we think we will address a significant need in the marketplace that uh, that deals with the, the non-compliance and non-adherence associated with with topical drops with a single injection of our platform. We think will provide um, several months um, um, of therapy, and we think that this will resonate with the glaucoma community. And so that will put us in a wholly new portion of the marketplace and to address um, uh, surgeons who are seeking and ophthalmic clinicians who are seeking a long-term solution uh, to the treatment of, uh, of glaucoma. Do you see a need or for Glucose to, to own these drugs or just license them? Does this, does going public and having all these funds enable you to really build out into a broad glaucoma company with both drugs and devices? I think so. I mean, I think as you as you see the the portfolio that we've created, I would suggest that we're probably already there. And I think by raising this additional significant capital, we then will have the impetus to move forward and to build on this platform and provide a number of different cellular alternatives uh, that will treat the full range of glaucoma progression, which will use both uh, flow outflow mechanisms and uh, and drug mechanisms. That's exciting. A final question just about the IPO itself. Uh, how is ophthalmology, do you think, viewed by public investors on the, on the biopharma side due to clinical results or clinical trials that didn't produce uh, the anticipated results? We've seen some ups and some downs. Uh, you've been pretty steady in, in your price, uh, so it's effectively it's being seen as a different company. But is there a lot of enthusiasm about ophthalmology? Is it uh, seen as, a, as a, a new frontier for medtech and for medicine in the eyes of uh, those important public investors? I think it is. I mean, I think there has been kind of a pent-up demand um, within both the institutional investment community and certainly with analysts to be able to identify innovative companies that are able to kind of breach and be able to create massive markets within ophthalmology, and I'd like to believe we're considered among those. And so um, I see this demand. I see people who call me daily uh, asking about the company, asking how they can get involved and trying to learn more. And I think there is um, there is uh, this this need to um, to see um, aggressive uh, building uh, formidable companies uh, develop within ophthalmology. So we've been the beneficiary of that uh, movement, and I think we have uh, struck a chord with our IPO, clearly with uh, institutional investors who uh, who have. Um, um, provided um, certainly a a validation of the decade plus of hard work that we've conducted here with, with, we think, a very, very very, uh, robust valuation. Great. Well, we're the beneficiary of having you uh, as part of the Ophthalmology uh, Innovation Summit community and and having you on this podcast. We appreciate the the excitement that that MIGS overall and that Glucose is bringing to the sector. Well, Tom, I appreciate it as well and look forward to talking to you in the future. Thanks for being on the show. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Tom Burns, for joining us on the OIS podcast and for making our 52nd episode so special. Tom, of course, has been at our OISs many times in the past. I mentioned the Innovator Award given to him a couple of years ago, uh, but uh, Glucose has presented several times. Uh, go to ois.net, search uh, Glucose or Tom Burns, and you'll find... Uh, his presentations and appearances at our past conferences. 
You'll also find the way to register for the OIS conference, which is coming up in November. Again, go to OIS.net if you are interested in attending. Go to OIS.net if you are the CEO of a company and you want to be like Gloco someday. You can sign up to present at OIS, which is a great venue for uh, young ophthalmology companies trying to make the right first impression. So we look forward to seeing you in Las Vegas. OIS is now accepting applications for presenting companies. Share your technology and clinical data with over 800 industry executives, investors, and key opinion-leading ophthalmologists. To be considered for the Ophthalmology Innovation Showcase, apply online at www.ois.net forward slash application.